0: you're out welcome to the ins and outs of selling a business featuring Keith D a presentation of Osage Advisors welcome back to the ins and outs of selling a business this is David Yazza with the Boston podcast Network the proud producer of this show but more importantly Keith is here, Keith D, the CEO and founder of Osage Advisors. How are you, my friend?
1: I am great, Dave. How are you doing today?
0: Pretty good. On the show today, we're going to continue our dive into the mechanics of a deal, specifically the due diligence that needs to be done after a letter of intent is, is signed up. Just another component of the way you work with your clients, Keith. I'll
1: give you a, a good example, and that's a good example. Okay. The, 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 the not so good example is we had negotiated a deal with, with a company. We are ready to go. And it kept on dragging on, dragging on. And partly on my client's fault because they needed some information. They were kind of slow getting it to them. And partly the buyer who kept on digging, digging, digging. And then we we're supposed to close on a Monday. And the Friday before that close, my client got a call from its 40% customer that they're going to move their business. So, of course, you have to disclose that to the buyer because you're you're making certain reps and warranties in the the, uh, stock agreement or asset agreement that you're fully disclosing everything that's going on in your business. So of course that derailed the deal, that killed the deal because it was too big. Now, if it was maybe two weeks earlier and we had a call with that customer as part of the final due diligence, because I think that was the call that we had. Mm -hmm. If they knew prior that the buyer who's strategic, what's about 10 times the size of my client, they may not have moved that business because they may have said, hey, these guys are a great outfit and we're, we're, we're happy. There were some concerns why they moved it, whatever reason, We don't, I don't know, but that may have pushed a pendulum back to, hey, let's rethink moving this business because now they're part of a bigger organization. Mm-hmm. We had another situation where there was an environmental issue, right? And these are the kind of things you need to plan for because, and this is manufacturing mainly. Because we always ask our clients, okay, when's the last time you had a phase one? Are there any environmental issues? Depending on what states, are you in compliance with the state, transfer acts, etc.? very technical stuff. But if you haven't, it would be in your best interest to get ahead of the game and just and get the phase one done. Because people are busy. Environmental is extraordinarily busy. It could take anywhere from... 30 to 60 days to get the phase one results back. And God forbid there's something, they got to do a phase two, which means they now got to start digging holes. And that could add another 30, 60 days to a transaction. So we have a client right now that was way ahead of the game, got everything done prior, and it's got like 3,000 page report up in the data room for the buyer to look at. I mean, everything you can possibly conceive of. And we have another client that's under due diligence right now that he's actually about finishing his phase one, because he wants to be ahead of it, that's going to shrink the closing date by from uh, more towards a sixty versus a ninety day, because the phase one's done. But we had a situation uh, several years ago where my client said, "I don't want to do it. I'm going to. I'm not going to do a phase one. I want to spend the money until I know I have a deal, a mm-hmm. letter of intent." Mm-hmm. So he waited, and of course, something came back, right. It was resolved. There's way, different ways to resolve. It was resolved through testing, through the environmental, setting up a separate escrow. There's ways to work around it. But we finally closed. But the closing was like 65 days delayed because of this environmental issue. And time, time's not on your side, as you said. So we right? closed the deal on a Friday. The following Monday, the buyer, who was a public company, got an unsolicited offer to acquire them. If that had happened. The Week before this deal would have been put on hold, right. because the buyer put all the resources into defending, uh, defeating uh, yeah. this, this this unsolicited offer coming in. They would have been totally distracted, and this deal would have basically gone sideways. Mm. We, my client was very fortunate that we were able to close the weekend before they got this unsolicited takeover offer. So time is not your friend. There's too many things out there that could cause the deal to fail. Mm-hmm. And it, and, and, and and the things that the reason it's failing is not because of what you're doing. It's outside forces that can happen from a buyer. You think about the buyer and you think about, okay, they're a big firm, big equity firm. They want to do a deal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You go through it, but there could be things from that are affecting them that make them pull back like a COVID or take over or. Or, or they have a one of their other companies they own has a, a major catastrophe, and they got to fo- focus on that. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know. So having that plan in place, having a weekly call, fully communicative, moving forward, is is critical to the process. Because every, the, things do come up during the process. I mean, you
0: mentioned you, what, you, m- you mentioned co Sorry to interrupt you, Keith. But just to, if I could ask you to elaborate on one thing, you mentioned COVID. To me, that would strike me as the ultimate game changer and the type of thing that maybe a lot of people just couldn't have planned for, and one that would change the situation and maybe change the the tenor of the deal. So how did you how did you manage that during these last really two years, right?
1: Yeah, so yeah, you, you try to you've been doing this for what I call every deal is unique. There's always something what I call the table mm. that you don't don't account for and you sit back and get ready for due diligence and you go back for your uh, years of experience just not me but my team everybody that works for us right and you kind of think okay what do we need to what do we need to think about make sure that we're we got covered
0: mm.
1: and there's always something that comes up that you're not you're not uh prepared for you're not you never thought you never saw it coming uh, i who who the heck knew a pandemic was coming right, right? no one no one. So we look, we have we have several co- customers, uh, clients that are finally getting back now to normalcy. In fact, I'm going up to meet one of my clients that's been on hold for a year and a half, the uh, next month, and they're finally back to where they wanted to be. And we're gonna go back to market next year. But I the way to manage it is unless you're in distress and you need to get out, or you have you or your spouse or significant other has significant health problems. If you can just you know you know gut it out mm-hmm. and get back to where you were, and then we'll retake it back to market. Fortunately for the clients I'm talking about, that they are gutting it out and they've able to utilize the various federal programs out there to you know, provide the cash flow they needed to get through this you know, very difficult, strenuous last 18 months. And two of them will be ready to go back to market. Because the owners are looking for an exit first quarter of 2022, so we're two years, two maybe two years later. One of them, frankly, is probably not going to go. It's not. Gonna, it's just not going to. Unfortunate. That's going to be a much longer road to get back to some kind of profitability. And it may be that they end up selling off the asset base, emerging with another company down the road. We don't know yet. We're still still evaluating that. But we listened to our clients and said, if you don't have to sell right now, let's let's not. Let's wait. Yeah, we're about making helping our clients make make the right decisions that works for them, not about just selling to sell. Right? We want to make sure we're relationship driven. And what can we do? We've we open up our Rolodex, we, we try to provide resources and just as, as part of uh, just who we are to our clients to help them get back. But those things happen, it's hard to plan for something like that. I mean, some other examples that are more. More surprises, so to speak, mm-hmm. is, is, is is like when a family business, you try to negotiate as much as you can at the LOI stage, but certain things you can't negotiate the details of are maybe the non-compete, mm-hmm. right? So we had a situation several years ago where and I think we may have spoken in a prior episode, we were, we, were, we were ready to go, and then the one of the uh, family members would not sign the non-compete.
0: Change of heart, or maybe hadn't considered that issue. He
1: just wanted to stick it to his family. You know, <laughs> right, dynamics. So, so. And so it, in a way that he felt entitled that he should have the business and everything else is wrong. Mm. And so when it came down to it, we went through the whole process, balked at signing the non-compete. So the buyer who really wanted the business and still owns it to this day kind of bent and relinquished to certain aspects of the the non-compete and still got a no, Hmm. right? And then I finally, I picked up the phone and I called the chairman of the board and I said, if you... I said, Alan, if you want to get this deal done, you're going to have to meet with this guy in person. And I and I, and I called the, the family member and I said, "Give me exactly what you want. Mm. I need to know exactly what you want, and I'm going to set up a meeting for you can just sit down with uh, with the chairman of this business, the, the number one guy mm. in this case, and uh, we can move forward." So and I said, I said, I. Don't tell me half of what you want. Give me what exactly what you want. And this is the kind of stuff we do on behalf of our clients. We need to know what's important to you exactly so we can work it out. Mm-hmm. So we got the deal done, but we worked in exactly what he wanted, but he decided to got, got us another attorney involved on his side and it took an extra month to get the deal done, but mm-hmm. we got it done. We're very fortunate the buyer was very in need of the certain process. My client had it and we got the deal done, but you know, it could have been. we don't know about those things.
0: In, in the end, in the end, the reluctant family member was satisfied with what was put in front of him? He signed. <laughs> he might not have been happy, but he signed.
1: He finally relinquished. I think okay. he finally got warned. But you know, mm-hmm. and it was it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, his father started the business 40 years ago and built it and, and gave him a great lifestyle. It was the right thing to do. So but those are the type of things. And then again. Then you get into, and then you get, in, of course, into the legal jargon, mm-hmm. other due diligence, right? And reps and warranties and disclosures and your business, what does all this mean to me, right? What am I doing here? What's, what is, what, uh, what am I signing on? Mm-hmm. And that's where you have a good, strong m and lawyer. He or she's able to, to uh, support, uh, support you and provide guidance and negotiate to your benefits. You can put your head down at night. But things come up that legal. What's the business? What's the what's the real reason why I'm signing this? How does this fall into document? What what am I signing up for? Right. And our job as advisors, as investment bankers, M and A professionals, is to be there, you know, twenty four seven with our clients to work through their concerns, mm-hmm. make sure that they're, they can not put their head down at night after they close and have a deal. I and mean, we had a situation years ago where the, the, their, the attorneys were negotiating uh, uh, a point that I finally said to my client, I said, when is a lot in 35 years of business, have you ever been sued on this point? And he says, no. I said, so, I said, John, I said, maybe we, maybe we don't pick a fight here. Maybe just let it go. And that's when a, the business owner has to call their lawyer and say, look, just forget about that. I'm okay with that. Right? It's okay with me. Don't, you don't want, you know, attorneys are critical, important pro advisor into in the documenting the transaction. But at sometimes as a business owner, you need to tell your lawyer, I'm okay with this. It doesn't bother me. Right.
0: Lawyers are paid to think of those imaginary horribles, but they right. could, they can also be a, a stumbling block.
1: Yeah. there's most of the, most of the, most of the lawyers out there have a business acumen to them and they understand that. And they've done a lot of deal. That's why you want to make sure you're, you hire a lawyer, A M&A lawyer that's done a lot of transactions in the lower market and in your market, you play in. Are you, they, are,
0: are you often the one recommending the lawyer to your clients, Keith, or, or did well, they We always
1: with... ask our, we always ask our client, who's your uh, lawyer. And then we do not really want to turn is it, is it, do they have corporate experience? Are they MA lawyer? If not, then we suggest uh, I think you need to have a, someone who's specific who does transactions night and day especially in today's environment because the buyer is going to have a very sophisticated counsel to represent you so i would say that our number one referral is is a attorneys that you know are you know accustomed to working with family companies so but you know you're going through this whole process and if you have a willing buyer and a willing seller during due diligence and your fortunes, things do come up and you'll find solutions. Yeah, you know, we don't want this indemnity. We want that indemnity. Now, a lot of deals are, are what they call rep and warranty insurance. So a lot of the, the reps, the warranties, disclosures are, are, are somewhat uh, minimized. Where on smaller deals, you know, have the 25 pages of disclosure schedules to support your transaction. So those things, but... All this stuff wears on a business owner. And if she's going in or he's going into a transaction, not represented, not a lawyer, but not represented by a, a banker, it could be done because you need somebody who knows, who's been around the block a few times, mm-hmm. who understands the process, understands what buyers were looking for, understands what needs to be done, understands how to nudge people, push them to make sure things get accomplished get loaded in the data room so we can you get the process moving and, and hit the target dates to get to the closing date is critical because it becomes emotional. And if you're emotional, then you may react emotionally to something that could be a good tank to deal.
0: Can you think yeah. of an example where there was a, a situation right around the due diligence moment of the deal where it looked dire and you were able to come in and alleviate the, con- the concerns of all parties
1: yeah so I would say there's a there's a couple examples of mm-hmm. that I think it came down to during due diligence a couple items came up that affected unknown at the time was unknown to my client mm-hmm. and, and the buyer but mm-hmm. came up with with a customer mm-hmm. and what their I would call project sales would be with that customer in the coming year and it was a major customer. So the buyer had a little bit of pause about the fact that their business was going to go down in the, in the following year. So I sat with my client and I said, and it wasn't a huge difference, but it, it, was, it was material enough that it was a couple million dollars in the purchase price. They wanted to adjust the purchase price but to affect that. So I came in and said to my client, well, we have a couple of different options. One, we can walk. Or we, we can say no, and they can say yes, and they can walk. Or two, maybe we come back to them and say, "Look, we're very confident in business coming back. We'll take exit close, and then we'll take we'll we'll, we'll put a, a contingent payment earnout that we're going to get back to this level in 24 months, and then we'll you'll pay us the balance of, of the transaction amount." Mm-hmm. So through negotiations, we structure restructured a deal to accommodate for this drop in revenues or, or business from this customer who was significant. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a, a small customer; it was a significant customer to make the deal work. And another another situation was is we we got on a, we got on a call with you know, with the attorneys. When attorneys are talking with each other, right? And we're getting down, and we have pretty two prominent law firms talking. And I would just a weekly call, and I would just listen in on a, on a lawyer call because I'm not a lawyer, right? Mm-hmm. And I just every I just listen in, listen in on behalf of my client. Mm-hmm. I wanted him to have eyes and ears listening to listening to how things are progressing with the various aspects of of the deal. And we all suddenly got this heated conversation going on between the buyer's attorney and the seller's attorney. And I heard the buyer said, well, if you're going to do that, we're not going to give you this. We're taking back this Mm -hmm. and the seller's attorney go, well, if you're, so they're talking against each other, but not thinking about the clients, right? We're going to do this. And, So they're going to pull apart negotiated items and start from square one. Mm. And I stepped in and and I don't recall exactly what the point was. And I said, well, how about if you guys did this? There was dead silence. And our attorney said, well, that works for us. And the buyer's attorney says, that works for me as well.
0: It's a good thing you were there.
1: (laughs) Well, exactly. You need to be, it's like our job does not stop at the letter of intent Mm. and just wait, you know, and wait till, till the deal closes. As I say, the work, the, now that we got to, now the work really begins mm. when you get to due diligence, because that's when everything's on a table, everything's open, your relationship with your employees, your key management becomes informed, you got to be informed, your customers are now in the loop, some of your vendors are in the loop, they're, they're doing background checks on key people. I mean, they're checking your social media accounts mm. these days. I mean, so obviously, and that's another point. The buyer should be very adamant that so you are not allowed to take a look at anything of my my, my employees until I give you the go-ahead mm-hmm. or talk to them. Because a lot of these firms are hiring these consultants. They're going in. They're checking your social media feeds, uh, so they get deep dives into mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. And you you do not want them. You they sign a confidentiality agreement with you, and if you they want to take a look at some of your want to talk to one of your employees or look at some of your, they need to get approval right. from, from you. Who knows? So, so it's a lot going on. And you have to, like I said earlier, you need representation. There's not so much to due diligence, but to what I'm hearing. I was at a couple seminars recently and then, so, and then in talks where, you know, with law firms that have clients walking in with signed letters and say, Can you help me with this? And the lawyer looks, You already signed it. What did you sign up for? Right. Right. Because when they get into diligence, they're going to look at this letter and say, well, you said this, and you said that you agreed to all this stuff. And then the business owner is going to sit back and say, well, I didn't really understand what I did there, or that's not my intent. Mm. And so they're going to try to renegotiate at that point. And it could, it could, you, could, you could see some busted deals happening in, uh, in the next three or four months because owners didn't seek counsel's advice before they signed on some of this stuff. Uh, because they wanted to get a deal. that thought the number was good. So due diligence is a critical phase. It is the most critical phase. It is where the work really begins. And if you're a business owner, having trusted advisors supporting through the process and doing it in a timely ma- manner with the goal in mind that you, you're closing out chunks of what the buyer is looking for. And so you hit those target dates. And if you don't hit the target dates, you pick up the phone, meaning us, and say, okay, what do we need to do to get back on track? Mm-hmm. and that's critical to a successful transaction.
0: Well, Keith, thank you. I think you've, you've underscored why this part of the process is so important, and also you've let people know what your firm brings to the table and what your approach means during this critical point. Keith, if people want to know more about this or know more about your approach at Osage, how can they do that?
1: So thanks, Dave. Yeah. So my name is Keith D. I'm the uh, president and founder of Osage Advisors. Feel free to call me anytime. My phone number is 860-767-3273, extension 1001. Or you can email me at kdee at osageadvisors.com or visit us us on the web at osageadvisors.com. And we're here to help. Thank you.
0: Well, you can also find all the past episodes of the podcast on Keith's website, as you just mentioned, but please do subscribe to the podcast on Apple podcast or wherever else you find your shows. And we thank you for listening to the ins and outs of selling a business.